Good morning. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 22 through chapter 2, verses 12. Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote these words. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, get rid of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. As you come to Him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be holy, to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says... See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these words, and we ask, God, that as Pastor Mike comes to interpret them to us and for us, Lord, that your spirit would speak through him and that you would open our ears and our hearts to receive your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Kind of an exciting moment in our uh, later services. You might have noticed that Keith just slipped out the, the uh, side door there. He's not skipping church. We had a, a young family that's been coming to our church, and, and uh, the, the husband was going to start his drumming career at First Methodist uh, this morning at our 945 service. Uh, and then his wife hauled off and had a baby last night. So apparently... Uh, <laughs> So our drummer just left to go practice with the band. So um, Keith, Keith is going to play drums at, at the 945 service. If you didn't know Keith has those skills, he was a considerable drummer, good drummer um, for a long time. Still is. A um, couple of uh, preparatory works and, uh, words and a prayer as we go into the sermon this morning. Uh, Keith mentioned Summer Games Junior. There were 76 children out there, third through fifth grade, at Pictured Rocks this past week. 
a number of our young students were there to, to lead as staff members. And, you know, uh, quite a few kids were there to receive Christ and, and to, to drink at the table of his teaching and, uh, today or this week. And our own ministry intern, which you probably wrote, read an article about her this week in the Marian Methodist, uh, gave a sermon on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, and of course God's power that worked through them in that fiery furnace. If you don't know that story, look it up. It's in Daniel. Um, she did a great job preaching that, and, and so uh, she should be uh, given a claim for that uh, as God led her. And <clears throat> Keith mentioned a little bit, and we've mentioned a few things about our Haiti trip, but I want to say that this is a great opportunity in Mission Week. There's a lot going on this week uh, in the next few days. Um, first, uh, notice in your, in your calendar that this week is the sewing day. Um, and if you're a man or a woman and you like to sew or you have the ability to cut fabric, we make hundreds of school bags to go to the United Methodist Commission of Re- on Relief. We fill some of those school bags, but also we're one of the churches that blesses the UM, uh, UMCOR by giving more school bags than they have stuff, than, than stuff to fill them with because a lot of people send the stuff and they can fill those up and children around the world uh, can use them. And then, and, and then of course, you, you heard that we're, we're going on a mission trip to Haiti, and we're going to have a prayer night a, a week from tomorrow uh, here in the church where we pray for, for the world community and, and uh, hear brief testimonies from several people uh, in our community and our church that have been to various areas in the, in the world. And so we'd ask you to pray for that and be part of that. Now, one other thing before I go to the teaching of God's Word, but certainly this confluences with it. Um, if you're visiting today, um, you know that we're uh, a United Methodist Church. That means all of our churches are connected. We have a resident bishop named Julius Calvin Trimble. And Bishop Trimble has asked all of his pastors, me being one today, to lead their congregation in a moment of prayer for people. Now you're going to hear a little bit of politics, but we're going to talk about people. We, of course, are the United Methodist Christians, and we care very much about people. And we also have been watching the news, and we've seen lots of pictures of little people that have been shoved into our border towns as a refuge from the places they're at. Now, politics aside, we know that people have to work that out. We know that there are people that are responsible for for both guarding our our, our borders and, of course, assimilating people into communities in, in righteous and smart ways. And... The churches in South Texas and the churches across our border towns are being inundated with concerns and needs that these small children have, young and, uh, you know, junior high and high school kids, uh, because it must be a difficult thing for a family to say, we think it's better to shove you in a truck and ride a few hundred miles across the border uh, than to stay with us. We think it's better to trust people we've never met in our lives and give them thousands of dollars to get you there. So, So we don't we can't work out the politics of all that. We can't work out the policies of all that. But we should, because we're part of God's chosen people, throw our hearts to God and ask Him to bless all the people that are involved. So on behalf of your bishop, uh, Julius Calvin Trimble, Bishop of the Iowa Conference of the United Methodist Church, and in the name of the living Lord, let's take a minute. Let's pray together. Lord God, we have seen images on our computers, our televisions, in the newspaper of children stacked in buildings like cord wood. We have seen the needs that, and the fear in their faces, and we have seen the response of uh, the United States authorities and the people known as Christians, all seeking to help find justice and kindness and merciful places for these children. And so we ask God, while we cannot make the policies, 
while we cannot perfect all that activity, we do pray for your people, every single one of them, from the politics that go on between countries to the people that make lunches to the pallets of water that are coming to serve these children. We ask that your grace be in it all and that your spirit uh, pervade this whole issue. God, there will nothing be perfect on this world as you taught us today in this scriptures. Everything is perishable. And so as we live in this perishable world, let us seek to live uh, in the standards of your imperishability. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. And on behalf of Bishop Trimble and, and myself, honestly, I encourage you and admonish you to keep praying for this situation. This is not easy uh, for anyone. Let's go to the sermon for today. Pastor Keith, I think, led us well through uh, 1 Peter. And, and I'll tell you this. We all have a perspective of who we are. We, we look at ourselves and we see certain things, don't we? I, I can remember being up at Arnold's Park. A lot of you know where that is, on the edge of Lake Okoboji. Uh, quite a number of years ago now, I was two children in tow, and we were getting into the bumper cars or whatever they're called. You know, the ones that have got the bumpers and you just kind of smash around there. And of course, one girl was old enough and probably tall enough on the sign and she marched into her own little car and strapped herself in. And I had my youngest daughter with me and she started walking to her own car. And I said, honey, honey, you're going to have to ride with daddy. You've got to get in with me. And she says, no, I'm a big girl, dad. I can drive my own car. Three days later, we were home in Webster City. Same kid. My hand was on the end of a vacuum cleaner. I said to her, honey, it's part of your job as the family to vacuum the living room. She looked at me and she says, but daddy, I'm just a little girl. (laughs) See, our perspective of ourselves tends to change by what might benefit us, don't you think? We know that, but here's the most exciting thing of it all. Even though our perspective tends to benefit us of, of, of ourselves, God's perspective, though, though likely it's different than the perspective we have of ourselves, benefits us more than even our perspective of ourselves if we embrace it. If we embrace God's perspective of us, it is better for us than if we got to live completely in our perspective of ourselves. And God's perspective of us kind of comes to us in this scripture in four base words. Perishable, precious, people, and pagan. Now we'll come back to that pagan a lot next week if you read the scriptures that are in front of us. But let me work through those four. You see, everything is perishable. It has a time frame. It comes it lives, it goes. I know that's true. You know, all of us that are in here today, or most of us anyway, especially those of us in our adult community, we know that we've bought food, and if we didn't get to it fast enough, it rotted right on our kitchen counter. I was in Hy-Vee the other day, and one of, our, one of our members was meeting me. I said, what are you doing? He says, I'm buying some groceries, but I'm not getting green bananas. Don't know if I'll be around that long. You know, we know we're perishable. I talked to somebody earlier this morning. They said, boy, I like your tie, Pastor Mike. I said, I haven't seen you in a tie yes, for, forever. And he says, I wore one yesterday at the funeral of one of my friends. We, we know that everything is perishable, don't we? Everything that we can see, feel, and touch, it comes into history. It has its history. 
and it passes on. Yet, God desires more for us. He desires to move us from perishable to imperishable. His scriptures are clear as he seeks to move us from perishable to imperishable. His scriptures are clear. It says that everything we know and see will come and have its time and pass away. And, and this is key, because 1 Peter says this a number of times, that Jesus is coming back to wrap up history. Let me read a few scriptures here. Five times in 1 Peter this stuff is said. In 1 Peter 5 it says, You who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. He goes on in the very same chapter. Therefore, talking to us, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace that to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. The the Lord is coming back and he's going to wrap up history. In chapter 2, the words Keith read just a few moments ago, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, you may see the good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And in 1 Peter 4, as we get towards the end of the book, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ that you may be overjoyed. We the perishable might be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And at the end of the book he says, And when the chief shepherd, referring to Jesus, appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Now that means that the perishable goes. Everything we see, feel, hear, and touch will one day go, and there will be a moment when history ends, and it will be Christ coming back in final authority to wrap all of that up. And, Jesus says, you don't have to go with it. Everything lives, has its history, and goes. But human beings don't have to go with it. You see, the Lord is offering the perishable, that's our bodies, the imperishable seed. And when you receive this imperishable seed, what it means is this. Tell it to camp kids all the time. You should write down this in your mind, because this is good stuff. Be born twice, die once. See, the math is good, right? Be born as a human being, flesh on the earth, Live your life. Your life will play out. Mine will, yours will, they all will. And if during the course of our life, God has offered us the imperishable seed and we've been reborn by his spirit, when our bodies play out, our spirit lives on. The perishability passes away, but the imperishable part of us, which is our soul, lives forever, ever. Now, if you receive that imperishable seed, which, which, which Peter talks about, It means also that you receive a new life right here, right now. And when you receive new life, you can't stay the way you are. You simply can't. You have to grow up in your imperishability. You have to live into your imperishability. My my nephew, one of my nephews is 28 years old. He just bought his first house in Kansas City. And it's older than his grandmother, okay? It's been there for a bit. Might be older than his great-grandmother. His grandmother might be here, and I don't see her, so. Yeah, but she's going to hear about it. I know that. Thank you. Thank you for that. And I can't even say his other grandmother, because she goes here, too. All right. 
So, so, so Travis bought, bought this, this house. He bought this house down in Kansas City, and, and, it's, and it's old, and so it's, it's got a lot of okay features to it, and it's got a couple of magnificent features in it. When you go into this house, unlike most houses of its generation that were built with this glorious woodwork, these, these uh, walnut pillars, the walnut uh, things around the top, that they probably have some cool name, but I don't know what they are. Um, we'll call them things around the top of the room. And then baseboards. And, and I mean, but unlike most houses of that generation, they've never been blemished. Nobody thought one time, hey, we should paint over that, you know, like a church that would, you know, cover a stained glass window, stuff like that. Um, they never did any of that. They left in it in its original glory. Now, the rest of the house, we're going to go with okay at best. So, of course, you have this beauty in here. And in Travis's living room, he had this wallpaper. And, and trust me, oh, I have to trust that at one time it was very fashionable and attractive. But whenever that time was, it passed long ago, okay? All right? And, and it's peeling up a little bit. But you know wallpaper. It, it's wanting to stay on the wall. So, so Travis's Uncle Mark and his Uncle Mike gave him a bunch of advice as to how to get off. We didn't go help him, but we told him how. You know, it might, it might come off there, you know. And so Travis has worked and worked and worked, you know, two, three hours a night, every night during the work week, stripping away that old, that old wallpaper, stripping it away until finally now he's been able to, you know, to get it down and to flatten that wall out, put some texturing on it. And now his living room is gorgeous. Hardwood floors, that beautiful, beautiful oak or walnut woodwork in there. It's gorgeous. But you see, the fact of the matter was, he had to, even in that old thing, that old home, he had to strip away a bunch of the old stuff. And it took a lot of effort and it took a lot of labor to get it that way. And those of us that receive the imperishable seed of God, we have to strip away some old behaviors. And I got to tell you, some of my behaviors are really old. And, and they're as hard to get out of your spirit as, as that. You ever notice when you take out wallpaper that a bunch of it comes off easy and it gives you hope? You know, and then you hit those spots like, oh, you know, and you're there for two nights. Well, some of our old habits, our old ways of living are that way too. We, we've had them so long that to strip them away, it's going to take some, 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 the steam of the Holy Spirit and the scraping of, uh, of Jesus himself to get it out of there. But, but if we believe in the imperishable seed that God has given us, those, those behaviors can, can, can go away. Because here's what I, I want to, to warn you of, friends. The, the, the fact that God is gracious and kind is not an excuse to do as we feel and trust God to overlook it. When we've received Jesus Christ, we have to understand that the kindness of God is not an excuse for laziness in the Christian life. The kindness of God is not an excuse for laziness in the Christian life. I've met so many people in my life that said, I'm saved, I can go do what I want. Well, yeah, okay, but... If you're saved, you should want to do the things of Christ. It's wrong theology to say that I'm saved and therefore I can do whatever my heart wants. No, when you're saved, when you receive, when you're born of the Spirit, and when you've got your second, your second birth, what the things you'll want to do are the things that Christ desires you to do. Because God's grace, you see, is the incentive to try to live a life deserving of the grace that you've already received. See, we can't ever measure up to God, but we can seek to live a life that endeavors to be deserving of that which we've received. Now, the, so the first P 
of these four P words I want to look to, is, is perishable into imperishability. The second P word in, in God's perspective of us is precious. Precious. You know, in, in building terms, uh, I'm not a mason or anything like that, but in building terms, it, it, when long time ago, probably still today, there was always a cornerstone set on a building, and it was set in a particular way, and very great care was to put that cornerstone at one corner of the building and, and measure every other stone to it. So every other stone in the building was measured on and relative to the cornerstone. That's true in our own building. If you walk out this door this morning, you'll see a giant cornerstone. It's huge. It's, it's a big, and it's a real cornerstone. It's not like some of the cornerstones that are laid today that are actually put in after the building's built. Now, if you were to go pull that cornerstone down, I, this building's probably leaning on itself so much anymore, it won't be like a Jenga thing. If you pulled our cornerstone down, the whole church would fall down, but it would have a huge impact because it's the cornerstone. What the Lord tells us is that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the kingdom of God and everything that is. That everything is measured and relative to Jesus Christ on here, here in what we see and in the heavenly realms. Christ is the cornerstone of the entire kingdom of God. And the coolest thing is that he's called the, the cornerstone and the precious stone, Jesus Christ, is for us. The precious stone, the Son of God, is for us. And the powers of the world, you know, fling Jesus aside. We know all the story, stories about that. The, 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 that the precious stone represents God's unfailing relationship to his people. And the prophets of that day proclaim God's mission and his destiny in us. But listen to what Isaiah says in 28.16. It says, so this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone. You, you know how he, the stone had been tested? Because it was it's part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Son has been with God forever, and, and so therefore he's a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it, relies on it, and that should be us, will never be stricken with panic. And even though he was rejected by his generation, he is the cornerstone of all things. And the precious stone cannot be avoided. He's there. You know, thank you very much for earlier this year, I was able to go on a renewal leave. And one of my uh, journeys, I, I, I spent the night in, with a friend of mine in Colorado Springs. And I had meetings later in the afternoon in Denver. And so that 60-mile drive from Colorado Springs in Denver was mine. And I got up relatively early, and I thought, you know, it's a good day for a hike, beautiful spring day in the Rockies. And so I did a little Google search and, and, and went out on trails.com and found this hike to Staley Canyon, a six-mile hike, only about a 1,000-foot elevation gain. So I thought, this will be kind of fun. So I got out there, and I'm walking. It's a, really actually for, for Rocky Mountain hikes, a pretty stable path, winding up the hills. And then you get to this place that it says, little sign, you know, made by a hiker, says, welcome to Staley Canyon Stone. Okay? Now, if you ever hiked in the West or anywhere like that, you know that there are cairns they put up, little piles of rock that show you where the trail is? Because you really needed them right there. Because what happened is you came up to the Staley Canyon Stone, and what happened was there was a stone right in the middle of the path. And it was way taller than Mike and a little bit bigger than a Volkswagen. And there was a Karen on top of the rock. And there was a Karen on the side of the rock. And there was a Karen down over here. So you said, okay, so the trail keeps going that way. 
but there's a rock, a stone. There's no denying it was there and it was right in the middle of the path. And if you went to the left, you're going to do the wily coyote fall, right? That was down a lot. So then your choices were, you have three choices to kind of go up and around it, to kind of shimmy on the side of it because there was an area about this big. Okay. Or, of course, go back. You, when you came upon that, when I came upon that, I knew for a fact that it was there. And then it demanded a choice or an action. I could go back, I could kind of go over it, or I could try to sleep beside it. But that stone required choices and action. The living stone, Jesus Christ, our Lord, the precious stone is here. He's here in the world among us. And he requires choice and action. You can walk away from it. Or as it said in the scriptures, many stumble over him. That means that the cross and the resurrection were a stumbling block for them. And they couldn't go forward. But, here's what I know for sure. There are a number of things that the Lord is going to meet us with when we pass from this world to the the next. And I have come to believe over 30 years of being in pastoral ministry and living with you all and others like you, that one of the questions our God is going to ask us is a pretty simple one. When he put the precious stone Jesus Christ in our lives, the question he's going to ask you and he's going to ask me is, what did you do with my son? What did you do with my son? I gave him to you in the world for you. What did you do with my son? You see, those who accept him receive eternal life in the perishable seed. Those who do not accept him, and this is Bible, not Mike's perspective, it's judgment and condemnation. See, when Jesus Christ comes to wrap up history, there is judgment. And for some, the judgment is wonderful. And for some, it's very difficult. So Christ is our our precious stone, which leads us to the third P. We are a chosen people. We're not the Israelites, you know that. And, and I remind you to, to, to look in, in the Scriptures, and, and I've said this many times before, and it's important, but look for the words, but God. B-U-T, God. Because of what it means is, things were going this way, and then they went that way. I remember when I was a little kid, played for Sheets and Sons Insurance down here at Marion Starry Park. Things were going bad. We got beat 10 to nothing in our game. They closed the game off early. Things were going terrible. But Roger Mork took us to the freeze anyway. Okay? Things were going bad, but Roger gave us ice cream. Okay? So when you look in Scriptures, it's going that. Things are going this way, but God does this. So it says in the Scriptures, once you were no people, but God claims you as His people. Once you were without mercy, but God hands you mercy. Once you are without a Savior, but God grants you a Savior. Once you are perishable, but God grants you imperishability. See, it's the reversal of things. And the reversal of things that you find here in 1 Peter is that once you were known by God, but now you can know God. You can become a living stone as a Christian in the world. You're called out of insignificance to significance. Think about that. In the history of the world, we want to be of significance. I was reading an article this week about a Mayan culture, this city in in Mexico, 
that had been the heartbeat of civilization for 1,200 years. Most of us have never even heard of it. Seems significant at the time, but it came and it went. And here we are blowing through the world for a limited period of 20, 50, 80 years, however. What a wonderful thing it is to be called from insignificance to significance in an eternal thing. See, a stone by itself is, is relatively useless. If we took that great big stone out there that's the cornerstone of this church and set it in the sidewalk, all people would want to know is when are we going to move it? It's useless. It's in the way. But, but when it's built into the wall, it becomes fabric of, the, of, of this great house of God. And Christians, we're the same way. By ourselves, we have some stability. We have some uselessness. But when we're knit together and understand that Christianity is community, then we can move from signif- insignificance to significance. Because our strength is not as a person. Our strength is as a people. Our, great list, our greatness lies not in ourselves, but in what we're given to do. And what we're given to do is God's work in the world. And that brings me to, to our fourth P. And you're not going to like this one, because it's pagan. Now, Pastor Keith's going to spend a lot of time on this next week, so I'm just going to give you a quick glance forward. The clear command of Scripture is to live as foreigners in a pagan land. See, Christians are supposed to be strangers in the world. We're we're on our way to somewhere else. Oh, yeah, we like the things of the world. We understand all that kind of stuff. I mean, I I was saying this to my wife the other day. We were sitting out on the deck on this, you know, 75-degree July night, and I just said, I like my house. I like the stuff we have. And I also know that it's coming and going. I can't get so entrenched in the things of this world that I forget that I'm on my way somewhere else and that I, my citizenship is, is in a different place. I, let me give you a couple examples. I, I, years ago, uh, I was taught by a couple of colleagues from different lands the importance of not accepting the ways and standards of this world. When I was in Cherokee, Iowa, one summer doing what's called um, clinical pastoral education, CPE, one of the students, the student pastors alongside me was uh, Ruth Xuan May. Uh, she was a Chinese nationalist that had received Jesus Christ and had come here to the U.S. Passionate about our Lord Jesus Christ. And it was Tuesday night, and I got to tell you, there's not a lot going on in Cherokee, Iowa. There's not. Sorry if that's your hometown. Lock it up when you leave next time. Anyway, um, <laughs> Tuesday night was half-price pizza night. So we seminary students said, let's go to pizza. It's, it's Tuesday night. So, so we went to Shuen Mei's room and we said, Ruth, we're going, we're going to pizza. Do you want to come? And she says, no, 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 no. I cannot come with you. We're like, well, it's okay, Ruth. You can come. She says, no, 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 no. I am a foreigner here. That's okay, Ruth. It, it's okay. We'll get the kind of pizza you like. She says, no, 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 no. I cannot accept your ways. My place is elsewhere. I'm a foreigner here. My place is elsewhere. My friend Kaboko Kaboko was at a pastoral retreat with us down at Wesley Woods. It was early before breakfast and all those guys over 50 were up and having their first cup of coffee, you know. And there were several of us and we saw the path down to the outdoor chapel and I said to him, hey Kaboko, let's go on a walk. A couple guys are going on a walk. Come on on a walk. He says, no, I can't go, Mike. He says, Mike, I can't go. I was like, why not Kaboko? He says, this is my family's prayer time. I'm like, Kaboko, you live in Norwalk and you're at Wesley Woods. You can't be praying with me. He says, no, no, no. This is my family's prayer time 
around the world. And that is a foreigner living in a land that's not his own. His whole family in Congo, in Africa, in France, in, in the U.S. prayed at that time on the clock. See, we have the responsibility to be part of the world, but to live faithfully while we're here. We have a higher citizenship, and I think those two friends of mine showed me that their citizenship is in a, in a higher place. Human nature is, is the way of the world, and, and the, the fact of the matter is that the way of the world is apart from God. It's separated from God, even though He made it all and desired it to be at one with Him. It has become a part, of, away from the world. And, and, and we're warned not to be involved in the sins of the flesh. And don't misunderstand what Scripture says. It's not just talking about human sexuality and all the stuff that, that, that we can misuse those gifts. But when he's talking about sins of the world in Scripture, and usually throughout Scripture, it's talking about living without the help and the standards and the influence of Christ. It's thinking about ourselves and not the fact that we're on a journey. And we're to abstain from becoming entangled in the world. We're on our way to something else. There, there, there's nothing here that can keep us from reaching that, that goal. We, we, we should not be entangled in the world in such a way that we cannot escape its grip. And so one of the things that I would encourage you to go home and, in, in introspection this week is to just ask yourself, what is gripping you here? What is holding you here? from becoming the Christian and being the Christian that God would have you be. Because I know this to be fact. The best advertisement and the best argument for Christianity is a real Christian. Is someone that throws themselves out in front of God. Every advertisement for Christianity is another Christian. And the best advertisement for Christianity is a great Christian. Real Christians stick out because we understand that we have this imperishable seed within us and that this that we see and can put our hands on and can smell and, and, and hear, this is not all that there is. There's something much more than that. And people in the world today will think more or less of Christianity because of you. And so you people that have received the call from perishability, the imperishability. Those who have known that the precious stone, Jesus Christ, is offered to us. Those of us that realize that we have become his chosen people and can know him now can live in the world of paganism with higher citizenship on our minds because we know that our Redeemer liveth and that he'll wrap up history and we'll be with him forever. That is my teaching for this morning that lays into the book of 1 Peter. Hope you'll read ahead because Pastor Keith is really going to take this on next week in, in chapter 2. Uh, and I advise you and encourage you to be right back here. Same place next time. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, we ask your blessing on these teachings that have been spoken. They are your truth. They are your word. They are destined and guided for the hearts of the people here by your Holy Spirit. We ask, Lord, that those who hear it here, those who see them on the internet or listen to them on their podcast might be blessed by your strong hand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take a look at this. One of the things that I love about Marian Methodist the most is that for me it's been such a cornerstone of my faith. I've been a member here for 20 years, and so I've progressed from that summer games youth 
to now a mother of two daughters growing up in the youth of the church. So um, it's, it's just been a, a staple for me in my faith and my relationship with God. We give our gifts to the church because we're very excited about the direction that the church is going. Um, again, the church has just been such a, a foundation for me and my faith, and we want that same opportunity for our own children and for our family. So we give to the church to support the mission and the vision and the growth of the church as it's moving forward. My name is Amy Stevens, and these are the reasons that we give to First United Methodist Church. Will you please join us in worshiping this way? Will the ushers please come forward?